So, hello, dear listeners. Welcome to the new episode of Civis Passion, the podcast about transatlantic security and American foreign policy. Today, we're recording the first podcast in 2020, after uh, Christmas and New Year um, holidays. And the whole podcast today is dedicated to Iran. Yes, it is. So, because of the recent developments taking place uh, between Iran and USA, we would like today to jump into the topic and analyze it more thoroughly and do a comprehensive analysis of the topic of the US-Iran relations going back a couple of decades actually. Yeah, I guess due to the complexity of this issue and now it's like it hit uh, this topic hits headlines and I guess not, not so many people actually understand what this conflict is about and why is it important and how is it different from any other conflict that, um, that the, uh, the US is currently having, for example. How is it different from the conflict with uh, North Korea um, and so on. Exactly. So if you feel overwhelmed by the amount of information <laughs> from you about the uh, yeah. situation in Iran, we hope to clarify some things for you today. Yeah, we hope to present you like clear picture. So let's jump uh, straight into it. Let's go. So yeah, starting the podcast, um, I just want to say that, for example, for me, the whole conflict can be traced back to uh, the beginning of the 20th century, um, because it's very, so to speak, colonial history of the Middle East. Uh, due to some developments in the Middle East, uh, um, Great Britain was uh, mainly in control of Iran, not, not uh, officially, of course, but s- some period of the time officially. Uh, but after World War One. Uh, and in between this uh, interwar period, um, what um, Great Britain uh, basically did, it nationalized uh, all Iranian, not, not all Iranian fields, but 51% of Iranian fields in the country. Yes, it's important to give you a perspective that it basically got a lot of money needed for the war, for example, with Germany from Iran, and not basically having any right uh, on this, um, on this uh, films, oil films. Yeah, exactly. So Great Britain had a huge influence uh, on Iran, with many of the oil companies being in position of yeah. British capital. And well, it all changed, I guess, in the decolonization period. So in the fifties and sixties. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, when like the whole like this British empire empire was collapsing and the uh, Great Britain was uh, withdrawing from Middle East and uh, the United States was stepping uh, in instead of uh, Iran. And here we have uh, the significant development. Uh, it's uh, 1953 CIA coup. Uh, so why is it important? About, what, what do you think about uh, this uh, CIA coup? It was orchestrated by CIA, but we know it due to declassified documents right now. Well, uh, first of all, we should also mention, I think, that Iran was occupied by Great Britain and the Soviet Union during World War II. And, uh, well, they promised to the Iranian government that they're going to withdraw after Mm -hmm. the war. Uh, And they did. However, they did not really like losing Mm -hmm. the influence in the region. So, basically, intelligence agencies of Great Britain and CIA, and and the CIA, American CIA, Mm -hmm. MI6 and CIA, conducted a coup which was supposed to install a... Western-friendly government in Iran. So why was that? What was the purpose for the coup? Uh, so the main purpose of uh, the coup was to overthrow um, 
um, Iranian prime minister who wanted to basically uh, nationalize the, and take back control of uh, oil and revenues that uh, Great Britain and other Western and uh, the US got from um, uh, Iranian oil. So that was a, a main. There was main goal, and there was in they were successful in doing so. Specifically, the CIA, which we know like from declassified documents, um, and that's um, that kind of opened a new chapter in Western Iranian relations because uh, prior to uh, the like the revolution of 1979, relations were very good. Um, Iran had like very rebel Shah, which was yes. which which uh, who embraced. Uh, uh, who embraced Western values and started a uh, so-called white revolution, uh, liberalizing like uh, it's like it's basically liberalization of Iranian society and giving rights to women uh, and um, giving the rights to vote and so on and so forth. But we should also mention that it was still a dictatorship and a pretty harsh one. The, yeah. the opposition in the country was treated very badly, and especially the conservative yeah. religious uh, movements of the Shiite uh, religion. So basically, the problem with the Shah was that he yeah. wanted to enforce, let's say, liberal values in a society that was highly religious and not yeah. really prepared for this. So this led to huge tensions in the country, with religious conservatives being hugely opposed to the government, which led mm -hmm. to many riots, uh, many of them being put down by force by the police and the military, and eventually. Uh, this led yeah. to the revolution of 1979, which ended the good relations with West. Yeah, that's true, and that's how this conflict, uh, the U.S.-Iranian conflict, uh, started. But I just, I just want to go back uh, one decade before and say very important about uh, Iran nuclear program, uh, which started in 1970. I mean, uh, actually a little bit earlier, but uh, when Iran, in, Iran in 1970. Uh, signed a nuclear non-proliferation treaty, mm -hmm. um, so it became, so to speak, a member of this um, nuclear community that could use uh, nuclear, en nuclear energy for peaceful purposes. Um, and um, so Germany and France basically helped the most with the uh, uh, and also the U.S. with the Iranian nuclear program, especially Germany, which constructed two reactors uh, there, uh, and uh, France, which uh, that supplied uh, Iran with the enriched uranium. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and that's how we got into this. Um, it's basically it's also important to keep in mind that Iran is still the part of nuclear non-proliferation treaty. It's not like, for example, like North Korea, uh, which withdrew from this treaty, or some other states. It's also very important to to keep in mind. And to have this perspective, um, and then we got into hostage crisis. Yes, and not one hostage during crisis. Revolution. Yeah, and during like eighties, there was a hostage crisis in Lebanon. There was like the main hostage crisis between uh, the U.S. and Iran, in uh, which started in st after the revolution because um, the U.S. Um, the the U.S. G uh, gave like green lights to uh, Shah that fled the country during revolution and they accepted him and that's why they were a lot of like protests and I guess students like uh, Iranian students protesters they took the uh, American embassy and took hostages uh, inside this embassy uh, embassy and held it uh, till 
1991. They to, even made a movie about this. Yeah, until uh, until Reagan became president, and it's also important uh, this perspective, uh, the linkage between uh, American uh, for, uh, American establishment. It um, didn't like. Uh, it's one of the reasons why Carter couldn't win uh, second presidential elections mm-hmm. for him. It was. Um, so it's a, a, a big so, issue. Yeah, a big issue, and all his policy towards uh, Iran. Um, yeah, and then uh, that's how we got into, I guess, um, the point where the whole crisis in relationship started. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They actually didn't have any kind of uh, diplomatic relations, um, and moreover, they imposed, of course, sanctions. Uh, and these sanctions, uh, that's. That's that's a thing. That's like a, a tool of American foreign policy that actually they're very deteriorated very relations and still deteriorating, and prevent uh, and like yeah, it's like the tool that prevents uh, both countries from having any kind of diplomacy and any kind of negotiations. Yes. So basically, uh, after the revolution of '79, uh, the newly proclaimed Islamic Republic yeah. of Iran became probably the second biggest enemy of the U.S. after the Soviet Union. And mm-hmm. after the fall of the Soviet Union, Iran was basically the number one enemy of the U.S. Yeah. And that's why all the, the te- these tensions continue up to this, this day. Mm-hmm. And I think we saw the peak of those tensions recently mm-hmm. with Americans uh, killing General Soleimani, one of the most prominent mm-hmm. military members of Iran. And... Well, this causing a counter strike by the Iranians who attacked two U.S. military bases. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, all those tensions did not lead to an all-out war, but this does not mean that the yeah. tensions are going to de-escalate further. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess as we can divide uh, this uh, into like two dimensions. We have like this ongoing like military conflict and military dimension in uh, U.S.-Iranian relations. Um, which can be like, traced back to the hostage crisis and a couple of other events in the Middle East, uh, including uh, Iraqi-Iran uh, war, and they actually helped Saddam Hussein back then supply them, uh, supplied uh, them with information intelligence, um, and for example, France and Germany supplied uh, Saddam Hussein also with military equipment needed to um, defeat. Iran during this war and Iran also mentioned it all over the time that back then um, it was actually the US actually helped you know, Iraqi and they couldn't they still hold the grudge so to speak. Yeah, perhaps. the US has a tendency to uh-huh, support countries which yeah. later become its enemies. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I mean, this is the Middle East, and uh, this the whole idea, I guess, the, of Middle Eastern policy is not to have like one hegemon there and want to have one strong country. And when they saw, like, for example, in the 70s, uh, Iranians gaining so much power, especially with its own nuclear program, they actually realized that uh, Iran was becoming this kind of uh, regional hegemon because we need to also differentiate, for example, Iran from Iraq and Iran mm-hmm. has way more uh, facilities, opportunities and uh, in perspective way more revenues from oil to generate some sort of military equipment, generate and, and buy some, purchase some military equipment for, um, from Russia, China and so, so on. So I guess you could say that the Western policy towards the Middle East is driven by the 19th century idea of balance yeah. of power in the region. I guess it was, it was like this before uh, we got Donald Trump. I guess that's the whole problem with the Donald Trump 
middle Donald Trump's Middle Eastern policies that it basically relies on this um, uh, on this coalition which consists of Saudi Arabia, Israel uh, and other countries that are openly anti anti-Iranian. Uh, anti mm -hmm. And of course like the main development in their relation that um, Donald Trump withdrew from JCPOA, so to speak, Iran nuclear deal, um, which was struck by um, Donald Trump, uh, which was struck by Barack Obama back in 2015, with the help of, I guess, like the prominent role uh, played uh, Kerry, the Secretary of Defense back then. It's mainly his deal, but not only. It also includes it includes, um, so to speak, five uh, five plus one uh, five five members, Germany. Great Germany, Great Britain, France, Russia, and China, and, exactly. and the U.S. So, and so it's also important that, for example, there were like a lot of uh, a lot of news that Russia pushed Iran at some certain points because uh, Russia now has like one of the best relations with Iran throughout its history because uh, Russia is not like a traditional Iranian ally. But the enemy of my enemy is my yeah. friend. Yeah, that's that's true. And for example, during Soviet time, they couldn't have. After after revolution of uh, 1979, they couldn't have good relations due to like, um, like just this religious concerns that Iranian regime couldn't have uh, relay good relation with the country with atheist country. Yes, that's true. And the Iranian government back then basically struck down yeah. all the communists in the country, yes. so the tensions were high. But uh, after 90s and zeros, um, Russia. Uh, Actively uh, help Iran with its nuclear program and is still helping helping with its uh, building nuclear reactors and with nuclear program, and Iran uh, heavily relies on Russia in terms of its nuclear capabilities and also uh, Russia sells uh, military equipment. Oh yes, especially uh, after they struck the JCPOA in 2016, uh, Russia provided uh, um, Iran with S300, mm -hmm. which is also very important for for Middle Eastern uh, security policy. Yeah, and that's um, that's how we got there. So basically, uh, so Trump withdrew from this deal, which was important because it lifted sanctions and, you know, a lot of companies, including like British Petroleum, French companies, uh, British companies, this, uh, not only Denmark companies, for example, um, they started operating in Iran. Yes. And they lost a lot of revenues because of this decision. And I remember this time very clearly. It was, you know, May 2018, and they were like, I guess, uh, all European leaders went to White House and tried to convince Trump not to withdraw from the deal. But I mean, he still made his uh, decision, and that's how we got into uh, into this like military and crisis right now with uh, with a lot of events. I mean, I mean. Uh, this uh, the killing of Soleimani was kind of a milestone. It was, but indeed. it was just like an event uh, in the in the strings of events. Yes, I mean it was probably the highest uh, we got in terms of the tension. You know, our tension meter is the yeah. highest we got so far. The killing of Soleimani, but this this these collected for now. But we should look into history, basically of wars and huge wars that. They were often not caused yeah. by one incident. Let's look at First World War, when basically the Archprince yeah. was killed and this caused the war, but there was were a number of events yeah. which could have started the war a bit earlier, like the Morgan Crisis and the Balkan Wars. Yeah. So here uh, I would like to address all the optimists who say that it's over. It's not. 
Yeah, that's true. It's high. I mean, it, it can be over, uh, first of all, because of Iranian nuclear program. I mean, Iran still uh, is a part of uh, JCPOA. Uh, However, they reduced their participation in the program. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's, it's also like, yeah, very uh, diplomatic way to say. Um, in fact, what they did, they, they said they're not going to restrict themselves in terms of um, enriched uranium that they can have. Uh, yes. Practically, practically, that means uh, that the decision to build nuclear bomb in the future going to be a political decision, not technical, because with enough um, enriched uranium, uh, the construction of uh, bomb uh, is actually very. It, it 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 doesn't take a lot of time. Yes, exactly. Uh, because enriched uranium is a key component mm -hmm. in this. Um, is a key component in constructing this. Um, so yeah, and and second, uh, we also don't have the, this political solution between two countries. Uh, I'm I'm telling specifically specifically about Washington and Tehran, we just don't have like this uh, uh, solution. Uh, we still have the um, uh, we have this um, campaign of maximum pressure, which is still going on. But uh, you need to keep in mind that uh, I mean. It's heavily sanctioned. Iran now is heavily sanctioned, and they know uh, so much room to maneuver there because I mean, all sanctions that they uh, could impose, they already imposed on Iran. True. So there's nothing they can do on this front, even though like Trump. I mean, they probably could uh, could pressure some. I mean, some other Iranian actives. But I mean, and, and also it's important to understand if you want to pressure Iran economically, you need the consent from other European countries. Indeed. And like I guess uh, the Iranian policy right now is to divide Europeans and uh, Americans and take them apart in terms of uh, their sanction policy. Well, I would say they're quite successful, especially when you look at the... Yeah. Uh, this is what the Secretary of State said, that the Europeans yeah. are not supportive enough. And I think there's a little conflict yeah. of interests between the EU and the US right now. Yeah, I, I guess it's like the biggest conflict of interest and like uh, we, we are recording this, this podcast uh, on 11th of January, for example, today Merkel is in Moscow uh, talking with Putin about like this so-called uh, vehicle uh, which going to allow European companies to deal with Iran, uh, with Iran, uh, and not being sanctioned in the future. I don't know. I mean, it's it's very hard to understand how it works from economic perspective, and whether it works or not. I guess it's not it's not very successful so far. But I mean, even the idea that they have this mechanism, uh, which is basically aimed at uh, um, aimed at preventing American from imposing the sanctions on European companies. It's, Indeed. It's, it's, yeah, it's incredible. And it's very good for Iran to know like this, they are working on this project. Um, and third, I guess, um, the escalation, uh, I see no, uh, I, don't, I don't see how it's going to end uh, anytime soon, um, because we also have uh, coming presidential elections, and we also have uh, coming presidential elections in, in Iran next year and mm -hmm. we have parliamentary, parliamentary elections in Iran in, in February this year. Well, many people say that the, the idea to kill Soleimani was a part of Trump's yeah. 2020 presidential election and, well, if you look at his approval ratings, they have gone up in the US. Yeah. Well, this very often happens in the US when there's an external, external threat, people rally behind the president. Yeah. So, well, 
Do you think it was a political decision? Well, I guess it's it's also very connected to impeachment inquiry, and we look at polls. Uh, is no there's no like one thing that heavily influenced probably his rating ranking like rating. Um, uh, I think as as as, as if if you analyze information that we got from news, there was um, this decision to uh, to kill Soleimani. There was a decision that's you know um, how you how you they framed it like um, radical decision. So I mean, intelligence services. It's a possible decision, but this is like uh, the most radical decision yes. that like American president um, can make. Uh-huh. Um, so probably yes, it's uh, main, like, maybe it's a political decision, you know, to have some mess. Or maybe I don't know. Or maybe I mean it's hard to say. And one of the one of the requests from, for example, House of Representatives or Senate to provide some uh, information about this. So what uh, did Suleimani plan, for example, and what were this action that will probably were aimed at American citizens and so on. I mean, it's actually interesting that he took um, just normal, just uh, airplane, you know, just like an uh, ordinary citizen, uh, even though Suleimani had his own plane before, just because he was afraid of uh, uh, his of his plane being hit by American missiles. Yeah, and, and it's so on. interesting, it was, you could even <laughs> say it was kind of reckless coming to Baghdad, especially yeah. after the tensions in Baghdad and the US embassy. No, normal airlines. Exactly, know. so that's pretty reckless, I must say. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, the main question, I guess, now, uh, what's going to happen next, and what do you think, Bala? Well, uh, as I said already, I think that we avoided war for now, and I don't think we yeah. will have an all-out war with formal declarations of war. But I think the conflict is going to continue, and most probably it will continue through uh, Iran mm-hmm. employing their proxy forces which they have oh, yeah. scattered all over the region. Uh, Iran has a really uh, sufficient number of proxy and partisan uh, yeah. fighters in the region, especially in Iraq. They're involved in the Syrian civil war. So their influence spreads in the Middle East, not only inside, mm-hmm. within their country. And I think the tensions are going to escalate because of the military presence of the US mm-hmm. in the area, which they recently increased. Mm-hmm. Uh, they move strategic bombers to the Diego Garcia Islands in the Pacific, in the Indian Ocean, uh, which is obviously a move against yeah. Iran. They moved the parts of 82nd Airborne Division to mm-hmm. Kuwait, which is also a response to uh, Iranian actions. Uh, they also based some new F-15 fighters, mm-hmm. uh, Strike Eagle fighters, next to Iran, and well, this might be a move to pressure Iran to comply with mm-hmm. US foreign policy, but I honestly think they will not, and putting more troops near Iran makes it, well, yeah. makes the possibility of some more crisis, uh, crises emerging larger. Yeah. But we should also keep in mind that Iran is a pretty uh, formidable yeah. potential opponent for the US. They possess uh, a huge arsenal of anti-air defenses. Yeah. They're equipped with uh, the S-200, S-300 Russian anti-air systems, surface-to-air missiles. Yeah. They also have a sufficient air force, which is a pretty interesting mix of uh, Soviet-slash-Russian mm-hmm. aircraft and American aircraft yeah. that the Americans sold. F-16s, no, but F-14s. F-14s, yeah. F-14s. Uh, it's unknown in what condition they are because they have no spare parts. 
But what Iran is good at doing is at buying foreign equipment and then adapting it for mm -hmm. their own purposes. So all of, many of the stuff they bought from the Americans uh, during the Pahlavi yeah. era, they basically copied and reverse engineered. So they copied like a Phoenix yeah. missile from the Americans. Uh, so yeah, they're pretty pretty formidable mm -hmm. in air defense. They also have a very large and numerous army. So I think any uh, idea of a no, full yeah, I mean, full invasion by the US is basically out of the question. That would be definitely calamity if you take into account how operation in Iraq uh -huh. when not according to uh, not according to uh, books uh, no how was it, not how it was planned. Yes, basically uh, Iran is a way tougher opponent than Iraq in yeah. 2003. Um, so I would say that if conflict tensions escalate further, the, what we could see is some mm -hmm. air raid campaigns, which will also be a tough, tough thing for the Americans because of their formidable yeah. uh, surface-to-air missile arsenal. Um, but well, the US constantly has a carrier strike group in the area, in the Indian Ocean, uh, not in the Persian Gulf because mm -hmm. it would make, make it too vulnerable. Um, but yes, we should, what we should also mention is that Iran is known for its cyber warfare. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. basically, their intelligence says that Iran is, is a really formidable opponent in terms of cyber warfare and cyber security. So mm -hmm. I guess what they could also do is perform some cyber attacks against U.S. Mm -hmm. military installations. Mm -hmm. uh, but overall, from my expertise, mm -hmm. uh, I think the tensions are going to continue. And only mm -hmm. unless there is some huge domestic change either in the U.S., maybe a mm -hmm. presidential change or some change mm -hmm. within Iran, I don't know, maybe mm -hmm. change of government, I do not see the uh, situation getting de-escalated. Mm -hmm. We will not have an all-out war with U.S. invasion mm -hmm. of Iran, however, we may see loss of life on mm -hmm. both sides. Yeah, what, uh, what you presented, I guess, it's what will, um, this idea of a very good uh, anti-missile capabilities, that's what's called in uh, military reports, is asymmetric capabilities in terms of, of course, Iran cannot compete, it's, 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 um, it's, it cannot compete with this uh, air American air superiority capabilities, uh, simply because it doesn't have uh, very good uh, airplanes and very good jets, um, modern jets, uh, but it can compete in terms of its uh, defending its own country from American attack. Yes, totally. For defense, they're very well prepared and their terrain yeah. allows, allows because it's a mountainous terrain and a huge mm -hmm. country. And also, it's, it's also an interesting question, uh, what type of uh, what type of military equipment um, it's going to buy, for example, from Russia or from yes. China. It also has very good drones, mm -hmm. um, which it also sells, for example, to Russia, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, I find it very interesting. Yes, and in general, it has like this um, network of proxies, um, and if if it if it wants to harm uh, uh, the US in the future, it's going to be via proxies. It's Probably, awesome. yeah. Their their missile strike. Uh, yeah, like we last saw... week was was the first openly admitted by Iran that it was them. It was mm -hmm. the first open strike of Iran against the US. Yeah. I think they're going. Yeah, I agree with you. They're going. They're going to go back to using proxies against the U.S. right now. Yeah, like for example, they did in Saudi Arabia, targeting yeah. uh, oil 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 fields, uh, which disrupts you know oil prices and harms actually President Donald Trump. It does because of the markets and how uh, world economy. However, works. after the oil crisis of 1973, the U.S. is 
more prepared for such a situation yeah. than, than they were back then. Yeah, that's that's true. So the issue probably will most affect the Europeans, uh, more Europeans than Americans. Yeah, um, in terms of oil prices. In terms of oil prices, true, but it's still in big amount of oil that um, uh, the U.S. imports from Middle East. That's still very true. true. Yes. Even though like Trump uh, has another picture in his mind, or <laughs> he's uh, he's been presented another picture or. Yeah, whatever. I guess the last thing that I would like to discuss is how Middle East and foreign policy is becoming like um, the part of this presidential uh, debate, mm-hmm. uh, now democratic debate, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be the part of uh, presidential campaign when we have a democratic nominee. I guess it's very interesting. First of all, it's um, the vote in House of Representatives. Uh, to limit presidential power uh, um, vis-à-vis Iran, vis-à-vis mm-hmm. any kind of military action. Um, and, um, yeah, this is a very big development. You know, they're citing a war resolution, uh, War Power Act, yeah. uh, as, I, as I remember correctly the name of the act, which basically says that it's the power of... Um, 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 it's the power... Of Senate to wage war with foreign powers, and it's an, it's very interesting. First of all, to watch how the Senate taking back its power, its power, its powers uh, from President, and second, how um, amid uh, all this you know presidential campaign, how it's becoming the integral part of presidential debate. Yes, I wonder what will be the democratic narrative about the Iran crisis because we don't have uh, mm-hmm. a democratic candidate as of yet. And that's why we don't mm-hmm. have a clear stance of the Democrats on the U.S.-Iran conflict. What do you think it will be? Will it be exactly in opposition to Donald Trump? I guess they, they pretty much have this uh, you know, unified position. They, they all want to return back to the agreement. And they, I mean, that's their main goal to just return back to the agreement. Because if you look at Biden, the Biden is a guy who was also in uh, yeah the Obama yeah, administration. Obama, he was a vice president. Of course, he was also included in the process of uh, striking this deal. Um, if you look at, uh, I mean, probably there's some difference. Like, I mean, but they still all when there's a narrative is to come back to to the agreement, uh-huh. of course, and then uh, work in this. Uh, framework of JCPOA. Which narrative do you think is, will be more successful? Because I think the narrative of Trump that we should deal with a foreign threat will be more successful than, oh, we should go back to some deal which probably not many Americans have ever heard of. Well, uh, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because, I mean, you see some Republicans um, uh, in, in this, uh, in, the, in, in the vote or um, um, siding with the Democrats. Which is like very uh, also like a new very very new development, um, uh, especially now. I mean the impeachment process and so on. I, I, it's hard for me to say uh, because it's a very complex issue, and honestly, I couldn't say from this perspective. But even like, but I mean, some Republicans uh, still think that uh, you should ha- somehow limit. Presidential powers because now you have a situation where they're heading towards uh, war, and you basically the president has unlimited power to yeah, wage war, basically all cost, to use nuclear Yeah, it's weapons. all caused by Trump, basically. The Senate yeah. or House of Representatives didn't Even have any say. You can, you can definitely prevent this war, you know, 
like you still can back to you can come back to JCPOA. You, I mean, you have a room to maneuver. You have um, uh, some um, instruments to influence Iran. But what President um, does and has been doing so far, just like uh, promoting this like maximum pressure campaign, which he does like almost with every nation that he uh, doesn't like, like Russia, uh, North Korea, and so on. True. Um, so no uh, sanctions, um, no kind of, uh, like, he basically rejects any kind of, uh, uh, any kind of engagement. Uh, so let's see, uh, we shall live to see, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and it's, for me, it's striking how it's becoming, like, the part of uh, presidential election. It's actually very interesting because uh, before that, it was mainly about like American in uh, domestic politics. Yes, so I guess what we will see in this election, comparison to the previous one, is probably foreign policy issues issues being the main topic on the agenda. Yeah, uh, that's right. And so we are wrapping up. I we guess. are indeed. We try to present like the uh, the U.S. Iranian conflict from different perspectives. I hope we were successful at clarifying some things. Yeah, covered some historical issues. And just uh, give you a perspective that it's way more complex uh, in days back to, you know, 20th century. And which is uh, um most important thing, I guess, for me is uh, Iran, you know, is not like North Korea, it's not Iraq in 2003, uh, in 2000, back in 2003. It's, it's way more powerful. It's actually a very big country. It's 80 million people. And you, know, you should understand that any kind of war with Iran is basically a calamity for the Middle East and for it the is. world in general. So, yeah, we should try also with some our, our you know, um, um, try to prevent the war by any means possible. <laughs> we should. So, uh, subscribe to our channels, uh, Spotify, um, recommend your friends. Uh, Rate us pro on the Tell your friends how awesome we are. Your friends, yeah. family, people you don't know. Spread um, us. We also have uh, email where you can, you know, send us questions or your know, complaints or support us or whatever you want to do. <laughs> Indeed. And see you next time. We'll hear you later.